tonight here at Ground Zero Meeting. Uh, we're going to continue uh, teaching through the Bible, and tonight's message is on the book of Haggai. You know, Haggai is a, a small prophet in the end of the Old Testament, you know, and uh, it's a very important book. You know, for centuries the prophets have been accusing Israel of breaking the covenant with God through idolatry and injustice, and they're a warning of the coming destruction through Assyria and Babylon, and that they would get wiped out. You know, and Jerusalem would eventually be destroyed, and the temple, you know, ripped down, and all the people would be taken into exile. Well, this has already happened, and everyone is in exile. You know, they're in a foreign land. Jerusalem has been destroyed. The temple's been ripped down. You know, so a lot of the things that we've been talking about, you know, in the past weeks, months, you know, has taken place. You know, which I find is interesting, and I need to study this more. You know, it's the Bible's not put together chronologically. You know, so technically, you know, some of the books that we were talking about months ago, also had other happened. You know, the book of Esther, and you know, and the you know the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. Those are about the same time that this is taking place. You know, around the same time frame. You know, and why those are put specifically in those places. Honestly, I do not know, you know, and this is something that I want to study out and, and have a deeper understanding of why they put certain books in certain places in the Bible and why it isn't in the proper chronological order, because there's a, a reason that they did it. However, this message is important for each and every one of us. You know, that this isn't the end of the story. However, the prophets also believed that even though that things were destroyed, that there was hope to come. You know, many of the many of us struggled for many years in our darkest of places because we didn't believe that there was hope for us specifically. You know, that we've done so many bad things, so many bad things have been done to us. You know, that this is just our deck of cards, this is our fate, that we're meant to suffer for all of eternity. You know, and I know for me, it was very hard for me in the first years of my recovery to try to put any effort in to trying to stay sober, you know, and I didn't want anything to do with God because of how painful my life had been, that how can there be this loving God if I've been through such traumatic, you know, times and events in my life? You know, and some of us really struggle with a loving God considering the way our families were, considering the way we grew up, considering some of the traumatic events that took place in our childhoods. You know, there's been a lot of physical and sexual abuse in my childhood, and I know that that reigns true through a lot of people that are recovering from sin, recovering from addiction, recovering from many different ways. However, there are some of us that have had, you know, pretty decent lives, good parents, if there is such a thing, you know, and yet we still found ourselves in pretty dark and desolate places as well. You know, sin does not, you know, does not avoid anybody. We all have sin in our lives and we've been sinned against and we've sinned against other people and that sin has taken root in us. Some of us have gone to some pretty deep and dark places. Some of us have been dragged there kicking and screaming to some pretty dark places and we've been stuck in some pretty dark places for a long, long time. You know, and here Haggai is trying to bring this message, you know, that there's a message of hope. You know, and I remember, you know, as I was going to the rooms you know, and going to, to meetings and being an atheist and being a belligerent one at that, you know, one day after a meeting, 
you know, someone confronted me and said, you know, all you do is come here and complain. You don't ever try to change any area of your life. The least you could do is pray. Now, I got really angry that someone is, you know, trying to, you know, invade my personal belief system. Although I was very quick to tell everybody else how believing in God and believing in religion and believing in anything was stupid and they were weak, you know. However, as I left that meeting, every time I would go to complain, I hear this little voice, well, why don't you pray about it? You know, and as an atheist, hearing a little voice and telling me to pray would piss me off even more. However, you know, the, the day came being so frustrated. And I got to this place where I was willing to, to speak things into the universe. You know, and I prayed for my first time ever. You know, and I prayed the same thing every night before I went to bed. And, you know, and it took a few weeks, but I went to bed one way and I woke up in a different way. And I had my first initial spiritual experience that a weight had been lifted off of my shoulders. You know, that I can't explain it other than the way that I just explained it. You know, I didn't believe in Jesus. I didn't want anything to do with Jesus. I didn't really say God. However, I was in a desperate place and I was willing to ask for help. You know, and I said, take my anger, take my anger, take my anger and help me to forgive myself, help me to forgive myself, help me to forgive myself. And as many of us have prayed at some point in our life and nothing's happened, when we're desperate enough, we keep reaching out, you know, and I was desperate in that time of my life for something to happen because I knew that there was no way that I could change these areas in my life on my own. And that day when I woke up, something had changed. And I'm not telling you all the anger was gone. I'm not telling you all the shame was gone, but I knew that something had lifted. And that's the first day that I can ever remember having hope. And I was 26 years old. My whole entire childhood and in my whole entire adolescence up into my 20s, mid-20s, was gloom and doom. Everything I heard, every the thought that ran through my head was depression. You know, I had depression and I was miserable and I cried a lot and I was angry. And, you know, and this is the first time I can remember thinking that maybe this is real. Maybe there's something to this. Maybe I can change. You know, hope has this amazing way of getting into the darkest of places and sparking a light and giving the worst of us an opportunity to see that something might happen. You know, and it's so important that if we're struggling and, and not, you know, able to have hope for our situations, that we reach out for help, that we're praying about our situations, that we're, we're talking about what's going on. Because I've learned through the years that the enemy doesn't come and try to attack our faith. That he's not going to come into this room and pick any one of us and tonight after you leave here tell you that Jesus isn't real. However, he will take you through a, a series of events that makes you doubt and begins to bring hopelessness. And in your hopelessness, you begin to give up in certain areas and all of a sudden you allow sin back in into an area and then you allow another sin and then you allow another sin and then the condemnation comes and then all this heaviness begins to rest upon your shoulders all over again and then where did God go now I don't deserve it and God doesn't love me and look at all this stuff and blah 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 and then later on he can then say you know what your God's not real and we might buy into that lie 
But he's not going to attack our faith until he attacks our hope. And it's so important that you hear a message of hope in Christ. You know, and, and sometimes we don't hear that message. Sometimes we hear that I'm not good enough and I'm never going to be good enough and I can't behave well enough and God is only going to love me if I can. And that is absolutely not true. God loves each and every one of us absolutely 100% right now the way we sit. And when we become better, He doesn't love us more. And if we leave here and screw up, He doesn't love us less. And it's His love that comes into our situations that grabs us in our darkest of places and says, come with me, i got a plan. And we come kicking and screaming because we think we know better. But the truth of the matter is, is that His love is what begins to transform us from the inside out. It's never going to be following the rules and behaving ourselves into this transformation in our mind and heart. It's truly believing that He comes into the depths of our darkness and begins to light us up from the inside out. And Haggai is beginning to speak this message of hope into a culture that has been absolutely destroyed and ripped to shreds over and over and over again because of their own doing. Because they continue to worship idols. Because they continue to do the things that God tells them not to do. Because they continue to take advantage of the poor. So they know they deserve it. Some of us know that we deserve some of the situations that we're in. But God. God has a way of coming into whatever situation that we're in right now and beginning to shift our perspective. When we get our eyes off of what's going on in front of us and get our eyes upon Him, He has a way of walking us through. By faith, not by sight. Because we can look at our situation and say, there's no way this is going to change. I don't have the ability to change this. I can't push this. I can't move this. This is just the way it's going to be. But God. And when we get our eyes on God, and we begin to get into His Word and know what He's truly saying specifically to us, and we begin to pray supernatural prayers, scary prayers, that if we pray it, it might happen type of prayers, that we start speaking things into His hands and saying, God, You have to do this. I cannot do this. And for a room full of control freaks, us saying that I can't do something is a big thing. That's supernatural in itself. Because we will do everything that we possibly can do to get what we want. But sometimes God backs us into these places and He says, the only way through there is through me. And that is usually the last thing that we want to hear. Praise God. Hallelujah. But when we actually have to rely on Jesus, it scares us. Because we don't know how to release control. That we don't know how to to do it His way. And so often we just want someone else to tell us what to do. And usually a lot of you try to get me to do that, and my answer to you is, did you pray about it? Well, you should pray about that and then come back and talk to me. And you guys love that answer so much. You love it so much that you just keep coming back to me for the same exact answer. Well, just tell me what to do. Pray. Because if you hear God about your circumstances, that will trump anything I have to say. I promise you. I promise you, if you hear God into your situation, if He begins to light up your circumstances, and you know God's speaking to you, that so passes anything I possibly could ever say. 
I can give you a verse. I can encourage you. I can say this. I can say that. I can say, yay, we can do it. No, when Jesus says, I got you, everything else just begins to fade away. Now, it doesn't mean the enemy's not going to try to hand it right back to you, but you have to rest on God spoke. God said this to me. What did God say? God said this. And you hang on to that little piece and say, you know, this is what God said. Because what Haggai is doing, he's resting on a promise that was spoken to them decades before. That he's talking about one day he's going to bring back this transformed remnant. His people will live in this new Jerusalem and God's presence will live in their midst. You know, right now we live in this time where we live in his midst. That the Holy Spirit is present. The reason why that Jesus ascended is so that the Holy Spirit could come. You know, and that we can have this relationship with God through him. And that he is our comforter and he is our encourager. You know, that we live in the time that Haggai has prophesied about. So now when we look to Haggai in this book that was written written about 70 years after the exile, which was about 520 B.C. So we're talking about 2,500 years ago, give or take. And he's talking about the stuff that we're living in. That we have this ability to have a relationship with God far beyond what he could comprehend. Because God at that point was Yahweh, and Yahweh lived in the kingdom of heaven, and he would pour out his spirit upon specific people. But what he's saying is that we live in a time where he's poured out his spirit upon everybody. You know, and it's so important that we realize that God has this ability to come into every one of our situations that we don't have to be perfect for God to begin to move. However, we do need to say, Jesus, I want you in my life, and I'm ready to do things your way. Because so often we want God in our life, but we want to do it our way, and we get real religious, and then we beat up all the people that are sinners. So I can feel better about myself because I'm still not sure where I'm at. You know, And what Haggai is trying to talk about and speak hope into this situation That even though that Babylon is recently destroyed, or Babylon was recently destroyed by the Persians, that something's beginning to change. You know, the Assyrians exiled them, the Babylons came in and destroyed them, and now a new king is, you know, on top of the castle, and they're in a new kingdom with a new set of rules and a new, you know, set of gods, and they don't know what to expect. But all of a sudden, Jeremiah's prophecy begins to, to come. That in 70 years, I will lead my people home. And Haggai is living in this time frame when this prophecy that was prophesied by Jeremiah begins to come true. You know, they allowed them to return. The Israelites went back to Jerusalem. And what's funny, when you read into the the other books, it doesn't say it in this book, that the king of Persia paid for them to go. And it's not like me and you going to Jamaica. It's like me and you and a million of our friends and family going to Jamaica. Like God paid for it and he used a Persian king. He used, you know, an idolatrous king to pay for the children of God to go home to Jerusalem and paid for them to rebuild their city and paid for them to rebuild the temple and paid for them. So when God says it's time, he makes a way and he provides for it as well. 
So it's so important for us to realize that if God wants to move in our lives, that he begins to do that. We just have to grab a hold of him and not let go. So as they're going back to this city that's been destroyed, you know, they they find themselves being led by this high priest, his name was Joshua, you know, and Zerubbabel. You know, and we read about him, you know, in the books of Nehemiah and Ezra. You know, and as this group who've been exiled returns back to the city, they begin to rebuild the city and rebuild their lives and, and take possession of what was truly theirs. You know, and their future begins to seem bright, that they're not under the oppression of, you know, an idolatrous king. But Haggai still has this problem. You know, and as they begin to rebuild everything, you know, he starts to notice that their priorities are messed up. That God's delivered them out of the land, and still they're still not paying attention to God. That they're taking all their resources and building nice homes for themselves. And Haggai's like, did we forget about God? Because God's temple is absolutely destroyed. And they're not even paying any attention to it. Like, the fact that God delivered them and that they're still not really paying attention to God. So he, he rebukes them. You know, and he gets their attention. And he, they start spending all their time, you know, beginning to rebuild the temple that had been destroyed about 70 years ago. You know, and he asks this important question. He's like, are your homes more important than God's home? Where's your allegiance? You know, this neglect at the same time that they're still breaking the covenant that God had, had put into their life through their rebellion of their ancestors, that they're still guilty of the same thing that got them exiled in the first place. You know, I see a lot of people when they come into recovery or they get saved, and they have this amazing moment where recovery is awesome. You know, we call it the pink cloud. Jesus is amazing. You know, they're having this incredible experience because their sins have been washed away. And then all of a sudden, their focus goes off of the recovery or off of Jesus back to building their own lives again. Well, I need to get a job. Well, I got to do this for my kids. And hear my heart is there's nothing wrong with a job or doing stuff for your kids. However, when we throw God out or we get away from our recovery priorities and we start missing church and we stop missing our meetings and we start working all the time to build our own life back up, over and over and over again, I watch that thing tip over. Though it's so important that we keep our priority with our relationship with God above all of the things. Above all of the things. You know, and please hear this too. I'm not saying this to brag, and that's not my point in this. Is that I've been doing this for about 13 years. I think the times that I've missed church in 13 years, I could probably count on one hand. And every time that I've missed church, I'm doing something else that involves something with Jesus. That Jesus has become such a priority in my life that I don't allow anything to get in that time, in that way, of me pursuing the one who saved my life. You know, I've been leading this meeting on a Friday night, and there was times that I was doing it Friday and Monday for over a decade that I've prioritized this space in my life to be here because this is where God wants me to be. 
And a lot of people that walk through that door says, well, you know, how do I stay sober? Or how do I continue to follow Jesus? My number one answer is consistency. It's consistency that you'll see breakthrough. This isn't a one and done. You're not going to show up and I'm, we're going to pray some magic prayer and you're going to go poof, I'm better, and walk out the door and be able to live your life however you want to live it. I've never seen that happen. Now, I've seen suddenlies in people's lives where at the altar, people get stripped clean of all their sin and all their addictions, and they walk out and like, God did this amazing thing. I've seen it. I've seen women, a woman, sorry, I've seen a woman with emphysema, lung cancer, get healed at the altar and went back to her addiction. And the only reason that she was in church is because she was about to die. I don't understand that at all. Where is that woman? I have no idea. But I've seen people that continue to press forward, go through the struggle, you know, and this is hard, and I don't know why I can't get the breakthrough, and they keep pressing forward, they keep pressing forward, they keep pressing forward, they keep, you know, digging, they keep pressing, they keep pressing, and all of a sudden breakthrough happens. And where do they sit? Right here. Why? Because they know that God led them through that because there's no way that they could persevere in the past. They knew that God walked them through the, the difficult time in their life. You know, it's so important that we realize and sometimes God doesn't give us exactly what we pray for in the time frame that we want it because He loves us enough that He knows if we gave us that thing, we'd just throw it away. You know, we would just throw it away. But sometimes we have to go the little bit harder of a road so that we value what we have. You know, if we earned $1,000, if we did everything that we could do to save $1,000 in the bank account, or if I handed you $1,000 right now, which one would you you know, value more. It's the one that you, you chipped away at, the one you worked for. Will that mean I have to work in Christ? Well, yeah, sometimes. Because I believe that He wants to work in our discipline. Salvation is a moment. That you're regenerated in a moment. Your heart is transformed. That you're a new creation in a moment. However, discipline takes years. New character takes years. And I think that it's so important that we realize that sometimes that the things that we're praying, why isn't God giving me breakthrough? It's because He wants to, to do it the other way. And so often we want the suddenly, and God wants to take us through to, to build discipline so that we never have to go back again. That we never return back to where we came from. So Haggai is challenging them to focus on God. You know, and what they don't understand is that even though that they've been blessed and even though that God has delivered them, that they aren't focusing on what is the priority. That if their relationship with God doesn't get strong, they're going to keep repeating the same cycle over and over and over again. You know, so Haggai addresses this problem because their expectations are out of place. How many times have our expectations got us in trouble? Every single time. That we expect something's going to happen in a certain amount of time. That we are just waiting to be angry. Because it's not going to happen in our time frame. Because our time frame is like two seconds ago. When's it going to happen? Now. I prayed it. It's supposed to happen now. You know, I rub my Bible and I get three wishes in the name of Jesus. That's not a verse. That's not in there. I promise. But yet we try it in Jesus' name. Name it and claim it. That's not a thing. You have to stop listening to those retards that are on the TV. 
Send me my 1995. I'll give you this little vial out of the Jordan River and you'll be healed and blessed and you'll have a million dollars. You'll win the lottery. No. The only one that gets blessed by that is the idiot that's buying a plane on your 20 bucks. Sometimes God takes us through the difficult so that He can be proven to be real in the midst of that storm as well. You know, that He wants to work out disciplines in us. You know, if you really think about it, the 12 disciples, the root word of that is discipline. And then He walked with them every single day for three years, and they still ran away at the end. Like, they knew that was Jesus. Like, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And that at His time, they're like, peace out. I gotta go. And what's the difference? Is that the same 11 disciples got filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and they did what God is asking them to do. And when we get filled with the Holy Spirit, the same stuff that used to scare us, the same stuff that we used to run away from, now that we can stand toe-to-toe against and say, you know what, you don't own me anymore, you don't... You don't scare me anymore because now I have a fire on the inside of me that will never be put out. And I can go through whatever. I can plant this church. I can plant my life at the gate of hell and it will not prevail against me because Jesus is in me. The same power that raised Christ from the grave dwells within me. And that we have to really begin to know who we are in Christ. When things begin to scare us, we need to sit down and say, you know what? i got to trust Jesus that we can't rely on our own ability to change certain events because we don't have that ability in us. However, we can begin to, to begin to say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you through this, and things begin to shift. And it doesn't happen in our time frame, but it does happen in His. And it's so important that as we're rebuilding our lives, that we don't lose sight of the, the man that put us in this position, and that's Jesus Christ. That so often I watch people they start getting the little bits and pieces of their life back and they take off. Well, I got to work on Sunday. Oh, I can't be there on Friday night. Why? Well, I'm working. Oh, I got to do this. Oh, I got to do that. Oh, I'm going to go to this other thing. It's so important that we get to know people and they get to know us and that we start being consistent in an area that's feeding us so that when we start getting wiggly, someone says, hey, you're getting wiggly. I'm like, no, I'm not. Oh, yes, you are. Why? I know you. We don't like it when people know us. We don't like it when people t- can see our signs. Like, our poker faces suck. We're such master manipulators that we don't want to be around people that we can't manipulate. Right? Am I wrong? But yet, when we start to realize that I can't manipulate this person and I stay close to that person, I start to value when they tell me the truth. I might get really pissed off when they tell me the truth, but later I value that they love me enough to tell me that truth. And it's so important that we get in community with people that are going in the same direction that we're going. Where are we going? Out of darkness. Out of addiction. Out of bondage. And you know what? We can't do it by ourselves. Because if we could, and we've tried, we wouldn't be even sitting here tonight. That if we could say our magical prayer in Jesus' name and poof, it would be better, we would have never made it to this purple chair. Right? Am I wrong? 
it's in community that we begin to, to grow stronger. You know, that one person standing alone is defeated by the enemy. But two people can stand back to back and overcome the enemy. But three people interwoven like a core can be hardly broken. What if we interwoven this entire group? What kind of a force could we be to bring light into the darkest areas of this city and wherever we travel together? That when we try to do it alone, it seems like the whole world comes crashing down on us, and rightfully so. A lot of times we're taking on spiritual things and that we're trying to, to bring Jesus into a family system that's never known Jesus. And all of a sudden we're bringing light into a darkness, and the darkness is like, um, excuse me, what do you think you're trying to do? Oh, just break generational sin, nothing here. Nothing. Easy peasy, right? It's just easy. We're just going to, in Jesus' name, make it all change today. No, like the family system doesn't want to move sometimes. Sometimes there's so much junk in our lives and have been there for generations. Just because we get saved, we think that everything is just going to fall into place. It's not real. And that when we have a mindset that this might be work and Jesus will get me through it, everything begins to change because our expectations get thrown out. And we realize that we can do this, but we do it in his timing, not ours. You know, see, they have a hard time finishing this project. You know, even though they started building the temple, you know, it's not, it's not producing what they think it should produce. See, they're still fixated on their own lives, and yet they're kind of doing a little bit for God. And because they're just doing a little bit for God and God's presence hasn't filled the temple yet and they're not being blessed the way they think they should be, they want to give up on the project. Now, I'm just speaking to myself, but I really have a hard time finishing things I start. Anybody else in here? No, not us. We start really well, don't we? Like, gung-ho. But then the second it's not perfect, what happens? We lose momentum. The second difficulty comes, we lose a little more momentum. And the second something else happens, it's like, ah, this isn't God. But yet when we started it, this was God. You know, and it's so important that we realize that it very well may be God, but he wants you to rely on him as you go through it. So often, because we think it's God, it's supposed to go so easily. Now, there's times that things can fall into place really easily because it is God. But that doesn't mean that when we're trying to rebuild our lives that everything's going to be easy. You know, I watch as we go through different seasons. Sometimes we're going through a season, and this is awesome, I love Jesus. And then the day changes, like, what's going on now? It's difficult. And then you go through that season, and all of a sudden God's back again, and it's like God never really left. But we're not getting our expectations met. And sometimes when we're rebuilding our lives, you know, it's difficult. You know, and it's important that we have people that are encouraging us. You know, Haggai's encouraging them and reminding them that God's promise, that they're standing in God's promise, that Jeremiah had prophesied that they would get returned and the temple would be rebuilt. And now they've been returned and they're trying to rebuild the temple, but it's not easy. And he's like, remember what Jeremiah said. You know, it's so important that we remind ourselves of the times that God 
had given us a word or things, times that we've read through the Bible and we know that God's specifically talking to us. Because there's going to be difficult times ahead. There's going to be times that you're flooded with your emotion and you're like, God's left me. I'm not even saved anymore. Right? Or am I the only one? And it's like, what happened? I don't know. I just don't feel it anymore. Well, there's going to be days that we don't feel it. But that doesn't mean that God's love and provision and promise isn't on our lives. You know, the Haggai's tell him God's kingdom's going to come. And he reminds them what Isaiah and Micah had talked about, you know, bringing redemption to the whole world. That all the nations would come to worship God and His kingdom will bring into this era of peace. Now we're, we're living in that. We're living in a time where God's word is being preached in so many different nations and so many different languages that when he's talking about this 2,500 years ago, there's just a handful of them in Jerusalem trying to rebuild the temple. And Haggai's saying, no, that we are the remnant. We are standing for something way bigger than us. We are standing for something way bigger than us. You know, I know some of you are new to this and some of you have been around a long time. You know, when I talk about, you know, the, the government, and I talk about the IRS, and I talk about trying to get our non-for-profit, that we're on the verge of planting something bigger than any of us. That I really hope that one day this gets passed on, that, you know, I am in the ground and whatever, and this thing is still running and gunning. It has nothing to do with me that we're here trying to build God's kingdom. This isn't Tom's ministry. This is our ministry in God. And when we start to take this mindset that each one of us plays a piece to the bigger puzzle, that it's not one man trying to make this big thing happen, but it's a bunch of us trying to make this big thing happen, the thing starts to move in a, a way bigger fashion. That real soon, that the government's going to say, yeah, you can do that. We're like, oh, thanks. Thanks for the paperwork. I've been doing it for a long time. But at that moment, we're recognized as an official ministry, an official, you know, <laughs> You know, and it's going to be crazy. What God is going to do in the years to come far surpasses any of us. You know, when David Wilkerson went into New York City trying to help gang kids get off the streets, did he know at that point in time that Teen Challenge was going to be all across the world? No, he was just trying to help the person that was struggling. And as he tried to help the person that was struggling, like, what do I do? And then this idea of Teen Challenge was birthed in his mind. And they bought some property in Pennsylvania and they started getting the kids out of New York City and into this farm in Pennsylvania and discipling them. And then they started going back into the city and then it went to Chicago and L.A. And now literally it's everywhere. There's one in Pakistan. There's one in Nepal. They're all through South America. They're all through every you know single state in the United States. They're in Canada. They're everywhere. Because one man decided to do what God is calling him to do. You know, and, and we're using that team challenge blueprint as we continue to move forward with ground zero. Like this blueprint is off of celebrate recovery. You know, and then that, what we're going to be doing next is based on the blueprint of team challenge. You know, that's why potentially we're going to Jamaica and serving a team challenge is because we have a relationship with them. And that we are using the blueprint and trying to do what God is asking us to do. And as we build this thing together, God has this ability to, to do some really cool stuff.
that we will have more than just a guy's house. We'll have a guy's house and a girl's house, and we'll have this and we'll have that. And there's a lot of different things that we're planning on doing. But as we believe in the whole, as we believe in the big picture, we pray a little bit differently. That we realize, well, wait a minute, all my pain might have a purpose. You know what, someday I might be able to help somebody else through what I've been through. And all of a sudden we start to pay it forward. All of a sudden we start to ask God, how can you use me? Where once upon a time we were in the darkest of places and we're like, I'm worthless, nobody wants me. And now Jesus is like, I love you, i got a plan for you. Now reach back into the darkness and help somebody else out. Each one of us together has these crazy testimonies that there literally isn't anybody that I could think of that hasn't had a part of what we've had, that there's nothing that one of us can't minister to somebody in some area of their life, that we've had gone through such darkness and such trauma that there literally is not a person that I could think of that hasn't been through something that somebody in this room has been through but God. And as we begin to share our testimony of what God has done in our life and how God has restored us and He's rebuilt our lives, that it gives hope to the person that's still in darkness saying, I don't know if I can live anymore. Like, no, you can because I did. How'd you do it, Jesus? Well, I don't want to go to church. That's all right. Jesus loves you. Well, I don't like religion. That's all right. Me neither. They're like, what? And we start sharing our testimony how He's walked us out of darkness, and it's not about the rules. It's not how we behave. It's about this relationship with Jesus. He begins to change us from the inside out, that I have no desire to do those things anymore. That it's not about me resisting certain areas of my life, that I have literally no desire to do that because I want more Jesus. You know, And as we get this concept in our mind, that all of a sudden this redemption begins to, to take place in our lives, that things begin to change, that peace begins to come into areas that we've been in such traumatic craziness in our minds that there's been such this violent craziness that goes on, this depression, this anxiety, these overwhelming thoughts, I can't ever get free, I can't ever get free, I'm worthless, I should kill myself. And then all of a sudden, Jesus. Is it all gone in a minute? No. Sometimes we got to work through it. we got to arrest our thoughts. we got to bring all those thoughts back to the obedience of Christ, that we need to know our word and know who we are in Christ so the enemy stops picking on the person that we are. Because we're not that person anymore. I resist the enemy and submit to God, and the enemy flees because, oh, that one's got Jesus. I can't play these tricks on that one anymore. And then we teach the next one what Jesus has done in us, and they start to find power too. You know, despite our, you know, discouraging circumstances, God wants to still do these crazy things in our lives. You know, some of us are going through some hard times. Some of you are in court fighting for your kids. Some of you are waiting for your parents to get sober or stay sober. Some of you have, you know, ailments and there's people that you know that are struggling from diseases and you got this and you got that and it's like, it's so overwhelming. I don't know what's going on. And this is where we get close to Christ and get close to the people that are walking with us and be like, I can't do this. And we're like, it's okay. Well, no, it's not okay. No, it's going to be okay. Well, no, I want it to be okay right now. Well, okay, maybe it's not going to be okay right now, but it will be okay. We're like, I hate that. Stop saying that. No, we need life spoken into the depths of our darkness so that we begin to say, no, it's going to be okay. And then all of a sudden we get a word. We start praying, and all of a sudden God says, I got you. And we're like, he's got me. Not that we didn't have to tell ourselves that yesterday, right? 
sometimes we have to keep, you know, fanning the flame, as he tells Tim, or uh, Paul tells Timothy. You know, he calls them to have hope despite their discouraging circumstances. He's calling them to be faithful, even though they're struggling. You know that. Nowhere does it say that we say one sinner's prayer and poof, we're perfect. And I think that that's one of the biggest areas that we fall short as Christians. Is that we, we want them to come to the altar and we want them to say our sinner's prayer, but we don't spend time actually discipling anyone. You know, and I've heard it that Billy Graham said that this is where he's fallen short that he believes around 85% of the people that he led through a sinner's prayer never really followed Jesus because they never got plugged into the local church. They went to a campaign, they had an experience, they said a prayer, and they went back to their lives. You know, And this is where I feel called to, is that discipleship, because I read it in his word, is go make disciples. What does that mean? Get into someone's mess and don't leave. Get into their mess and keep telling them that Jesus is going to get them through it. Keep teaching them the word. Keep speaking life into their situation. Keep addressing the lies that keep going into their head. Trying to trick them that they are not who God says they are. Teaching them that their word is perfect and it's important to be in their word. Teaching them to have a relationship with Jesus. Teaching them what it's like to worship God and get into his presence. These are such important tools that we can grab onto, that we can have church in the midst of our car. We can have church in the midst of our bedroom. We can have church in the midst of our living room. Why? Because all the resources are at our fingertips. That if we think that we need to get to a building on Sunday, we're screwed. Because what do we do for the rest of the week? i got to get to church. No, I am the church. And I need the presence of God into my life. How do I get that presence? I get into His Word. I put worship music on. And I sing and I pray until I feel His presence come. Until the tears start rolling down my cheeks and I know He's in the room. And I'm like, okay. I don't know how many times I left my house in such frustration, in such emotional turmoil, and I'm going to walk until Jesus shows up. There's literally people that think I'm absolutely crazy. Rightfully so. But anyway... That they would see me walking, and they're like, I don't know what's going on with that guy. And later on, they, you know, for whatever reason, God, you know, intertwined our, our paths, and they would ask me about it, and I'm like, well, I was praying. He's like, you didn't look like you were praying, because I was praying through what was going on in the inside of me. Like, prayer to me is not get on my knees, now I lay my head down to sleep. That is not how I pray. Like, me and Jesus are talking, and sometimes I get excited. You know, like, you gotta do something. And usually it's gotta change my heart or change my mind, but I want them to do other things, but usually the thing that gets moved is me. Because I need to get back into alignment. Because I'm allowing fear to drag me out of where I should be. I'm allowing the lie to take me somewhere I shouldn't go. Where His truth and His presence is keeping me rooted in Him, that my feet are on the rock of my salvation, that I will not be moved. I will not go back to where I came from. I refuse to let the enemy continue to kick me down over and over and over again. Most of us have been defeated and beat up by the enemy since we were little, little kids. And now we have an authority in our life, Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we can start to say, no, I'm not doing that anymore. 
That's not what I do. That's not who I am. I'm not doing that. I'm not saying that. I'm not going there. Why? Because Jesus. Why? Is there a rule? No, it doesn't have nothing to do with a rule. I want my relationship with Jesus to grow stronger, but I don't want anything to do with that. You know, and Haggai is speaking this hope and this faithfulness into them and saying, be faithful to God. He will get you through this. And I'm telling us right now that we have to be faithful to Him. That no matter what we're facing right now, He will get us through this. His promise, not mine. He likes these types of situations in our life. We hate these types of situations in our lives. There is not a part like, oh, I'm so grateful. Rejoice in your suffering. I'm going to choke you. The next one that says that to me. Until we realize what the verse is really saying to us. Why can we rejoice in our trial? Because we need to press into Jesus to get through it. So our relationship with Jesus grows stronger through the trial. That he teaches us how to persevere when most of us have been running since we knew what running was. He, he strengthens our godly character because we don't have it. Where can we have it? We didn't get raised that way. We don't know how to do those types of things. So he's teaching us through the fire. He's burning off the dross. He's burning off the impurities. He's burning off the things that are not of him. And through it, through that trial, we press into Jesus. We press into our word. We get into his presence and all of a sudden, we pop out the other side a little bit more like Jesus. That we learn what it means to have the mind of Christ. We learn what it's like to be in Christ. That our identity is in Him and not of what this world wants us to believe. Not in what our past continues to tell us that we are. Well, you're worthless. Nobody wants you. You're a mistake. No, I am a child of God. I am victorious because Christ is my victorious warrior and I am in Him. That there is nothing that I can't overcome through Christ. And it's this type of faith that we begin to see the idols that we've grabbed onto so many times. And we're like, no, I don't want to touch that anymore. I don't want to live that way anymore. That's not who I am anymore. It's not because of rules. It's not because someone said I can't do or can't touch. It's because I want more Jesus that I don't mess with things that used to, to drag me down. It doesn't mean that we go don't get tempted, but I look at temptation, I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Well, it could be fun. Tom, don't you just miss drinking once in a while? Absolutely not. Well, marijuana's going to be legal. Are you going to smoke it? Absolutely not. Why? It'll be fun. No, it isn't. Jesus is awesome. Well, I, you know, you know, it doesn't matter what excuses people throw at us when we know that we would rather have Jesus. The people try to hand us temptation all the time. No, I'm good. I want more Jesus. And when we have this mindset that we press into him no matter what we go through, that we start finding this thing starts to burn on the inside of us and that we can walk through difficulties because we know who we are in Christ. That Haggai is speaking to them and breaking off their identity, which has been in there since they left Egypt. Since they left Egypt, they worshipped idols. And all through the wilderness, all through that trial, all through that temptation, going into the promised land, you know, Moses told them, break this stuff off or it's going to be your downfall. Yeah, 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 okay. They get into the promised land. Joshua, that is the end of his death. Don't let these idols in. Don't let these tribes in or it's going to bring your downfall. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
And all throughout it, we watch how the same stuff drags them down. Judges, 400 years, up and down, up and down. King David starts to get things back in, in place, but he falls with Bathsheba, and then every, the sexual temptation of the Canaanite tribes gets rooted in his family, and we watch it ups and down, ups and down. They can't ever get back on their feet. Haggai is talking to them. Don't go back to where we came from. Continue to keep your eyes on God, that he will get us through this. That he's breaking off this generation of fatherless rebellion that we've had since we were little. Some of us have good fathers. Some of us not so much. Some of us have had, you know, absentee fathers. But when we learn that he is our father and we begin to have this relationship with Abba Father, that we realize that he is right there and we can come to him, that all of a sudden this area of this fatherless moon, this, our, our orphan spirit begins to get healed and that we realize that we belong, that the spirit of adoption takes root in us, and that we realize that we're in the family of God. So many of us struggle with family is because we haven't had really good ones. But when we realize that this is our family, when you look around the room, that these are our brothers and sisters, that when we go through trials and we go through blessings and we have you know things that we can celebrate, who's there? The people in this room. The people in church that I'm not going back to the bar to celebrate the things that I go through today. Like, woo, let's have a party. No, I have no desire for that. No desire to go back to those things. Because Jesus is, is uprooting things of our past, and he's imparting and imputing new things in us that he wants us to, to be who he's called us to be. You know, and Haggai is prophesying their future of hope, that he will use God's people to defeat Ephraim, evil among the nations, and he will establish a king from the line of David. That our futures are bright. I don't know about you, but many years ago, I didn't think my future was bright. Honestly, I thought I'd be dead by now. I didn't think that I would ever reach 40. I was lucky that I, I was getting sober at the end of my or end of my 20s. I was walking into my 30s getting sober. And I told my mom, if this Jesus stuff doesn't work, I don't know what's going to happen, but it ain't going to be good. Because I've tried everything else. I've literally tried everything else to try to maintain mental health and get sober. But God, He came into my broken life and began to transform me from the inside out. His Word began to renew a very corrupted and very perverted and very depressed and very anxious mind and gave me peace in a place that people said that that man's going to probably commit suicide. That He began to speak life into me as I got into His Word. That our future is bright. I know some of us are going through it. That's okay. Jesus is bigger than that. I promise. Whatever we're facing, but Jesus. That Jesus is the ultimate card that we can pull and say, you know what, he's going to make this right. And it may not be the way we want it to be, and that's okay, because it'll be the way he wants it to be, and that's way better. And we have to let go of those expectations that we want what we want, because not always do we want the good, the best thing for us. That sometimes he has a better plan, and sometimes we resist it because it's not what we think it should be. Well, it should be this way. And Jesus is like, uh... Your way hasn't worked up to this point. You still want to try to do it your way? I mean, you can if you want, but this way's better. And we're like, no, this way. He's like, 
you can if you want, but this way's better. And we were like trying to drag Jesus down our will, and he's like, nah, this way. And I'm like, no, 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 Jesus, this way. And he's like, by all means, good luck. And when we let go of what we want for what he wants, things begin to transition and things begin to fall into place way better than we could ever have made it. Way better. That he is so faithful to us that he wants to bring the fulfillment of God's promises. Do you realize that we're sitting in the fulfillment of people that prophesied over 3,000 years ago? People saw what we have. They saw the coming Messiah. They saw God's Spirit being poured upon all its people. They saw having this relationship with God that was so intimate, and yet they walked this stuff out without what we have. They didn't have a Bible. Most of them didn't really even have a lot of scriptures or didn't have a lot of scrolls. They had this relationship with God and they had someone else write it out. That we are, we have such benefit. I mean, most of us have several Bibles in our home. And yet we struggle with picking it up. It's so important that we get our face in His Word so we can see His face in us and that we find the way He wants us to live because it's not the way we want. Even when we're trying to behave, His way is better. You know, and this is where Haggai is laying out this great challenge. And this is where, you know, this book, even though it's a small little prophetic book of the Old Testament, it's true for every generation. It's true, it was true for the, the wilderness generation. It's true for the exile generation. It's true for this generation. Is that this challenge is that God's people need to pay attention to their choices. Because our choices really matter. When we're faithful and when we're obedient, God brings his promise that he has this work that he wants to do in us and through us, that he has a purpose for us and he has a purpose with us, that when we God let, we let God work out in us, he then puts us in a position to help somebody else get Jesus and work through their stuff. And we're like, I got your hand. Just come with me. Like, no, this is really hard. This, this sucks. No, no, I got you. Just keep trusting Jesus. Keep trusting Jesus. Keep trusting Jesus. Come on. It'll be all right. Just keep trusting Jesus. You're like, no, no, I hate this. It's hard. I don't want to do this. This is stupid. I don't want to quit. Like, no, no, come on. Keep coming. Keep going. You know, and God starts teaching us about deeper principles and deeper relationship. And he takes us into deeper waters. Why? Because he is God. And he wants to show us that, that he will take care of every little last thing if we trust him. See, this truth should motivate us. It should motivate us in humility that we can't do it our way. And technically, our way isn't what we really want anyway. That if we really look at the person that's hurt us the most through our life is the one that's been making all the decisions. That we should say, my will, be like, no, no, no. Opposite of that. Whatever that is, I don't want anything to do with my will because that's going to be painful. Jesus, what's your will? It's scary. Let's do that. My will painful, his way scary. Which should we choose? Scary over pain. 
You know, it should motivate us to have a relationship with God and serve God. That His presence is more important than anything else. That when we press into Him, that His promises bring blessing. Because that's what His kingdom is truly all about. Is having a relationship with the living God. So I just want to encourage you tonight. Whatever you're going through, whatever's scaring you right now, good. Trust Him. Walk through it. Is it hard? Probably. Grab a hold of the hand sitting next to you. Grab a hold of one of the people in the group as we break in a small group. And say, I'm petrified. I don't know what to do. You're in the right place. You're in the right place. That you're surrounded around other people. You're scared too. You know what? Our will hasn't worked. Still isn't working. We, we know people that have tried it. It's still the same. Our will cr- produces more pain in our lives. God's way scary. It's okay. He's there. He's in the midst of it. He'll get you through it. So I just really encourage you. Just keep pressing forward. Keep being consistent. Keep showing up. Keep praying. But, 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 just keep praying. He'll get you through it. He always does. Be faithful to him. Be careful of your choices. Hang on to his promise. Hang on to his word. And you'll watch how miracles take place in every single one of our situations. Because technically, every one of us sitting here tonight has already had miracles or we wouldn't be here tonight. And God has been faithful then. He's faithful now. And he'll be faithful in the future. Because that's who God is. Just bow your heads with me. Lord, I just thank you so much. I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you never give up on us. I thank you that your mercy is new every moment. And I thank you that your grace is sufficient. I thank you that you poured out your presence upon us, that we can have this relationship with you. I pray, Lord, that each one of us grows in that understanding of who we are in Christ, Lord that you begin to manifest in the depths of who we are, that you begin to burn this fire on the inside of each and every one of us, Lord, that just pulls us into deeper relationship with you. Lord, help us to have a hunger for your word, Lord. Help us to have this desire to be with you, Lord, to seek your face, Lord, not this behavioral modification, Lord, that we have this ability to have this relationship with the God of the universe that you gave us all access to you through what Christ has done and that you set the Holy Spirit so that we could have this deep, intimate, personal relationship with you, Lord. Help each and every one of us grab a hold of you and not let go. Lord, I speak into the situations of the, the men and women and what they're going through in this room, and I just speak hope. I pray that you give them hope. I pray above all things that we get our eyes upon you and not let go, Lord. I just thank you for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.